Welcome to the Center Church Dubai. We are a church built and centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ours is the story of a faithful God who saved imperfect people by His grace, united them by the love of Christ, and sent them out to bring many more to Him. Thanks for joining us. Today's scripture reading is taken from Psalms chapter 32. Psalms chapter 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. It's not often that we have three psalms written, I mean, read out, call of worship, prayer of confession, and the sermon passage. It just goes to show that the book of Psalm has got something for every occasion, for uh, every need. There's, there's something in the book of Psalm that's there for us to take away. So today we are going to be looking at uh, Psalm 32. Uh, one of the most important aspects of Christian living is forgiveness. And primarily in receiving forgiveness from God. And I say that for a few reasons. And the most important being this is that the word teaches so. The word in Ephesians 4.32 teaches us that we must forgive one another just as God has forgiven us in Jesus Christ. And so we need to receive forgiveness from God to even think of forgiving others, let alone see if you're able to forgive them for what they've done. You need to receive forgiveness from God first. In Luke 7, 47, there's this incident where the woman comes and washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And there are others around that are condemning her and Jesus. And Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them this. And he tells this that those who are forgiven much or forgiven much by God will love much. But those who have been forgiven little will love little. So, and this is our creator saying this. And so if we say we love our spouse, we love our family, we love our church, we love someone, 
But if we are not receiving forgiveness from God daily, then we need to reflect what kind of love am I really loving with? Because this is what Jesus teaches. And today, today, strangely, we have Christians that claim that they, ha ha they have been forgiven. They claim that they worship a God that is forgiving, that forgives. But there is no demonstration of that forgiveness they receive towards others. And neither is there evidence of a humble, forgiven life. It's a little strange. Maybe this is because we don't really experience God's forgiveness. Maybe. Or maybe it's that we experience, we know these things, but there's no joy. What does it mean? to receive joyfully, to live joyfully when you receive God's forgiveness. And thankfully, we have God and His Word to help us with all of this. So as we look at this psalm, my hope is that you will all see that there is great joy to be experienced in God's forgiveness. And that joy will help us live a blessed forgiven life and this is what I hope that we see and you take back so as we look at the psalm we will look at three main points through the psalm we will look at the blessedness of God's forgiveness we will look at experiencing God's forgiveness what does it take to experience God's forgiveness and we will finally look what is this joy we are called to experience in God's forgiveness so let's look at the first one, blessedness of God's forgiveness. Now the first two verses in this psalm is speaking about someone who is blessed. And the word blessed means happy. And David says that a happy person is one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now to understand these verses, we need to look at two portions in scripture. One is Psalm 51 and Paul's use of these two verses in Romans 4, 6 to 8. We'll briefly look at this. Now most commentators agree that Psalm 32 is written by David as a response to God's forgiveness he pleads for in Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, we know that this psalm is written by David when Nathan confronts him for his sin in the way that he has murdered Uriah and committed adultery with Bathsheba. His sin is great. And in Psalm 51, we see David not giving any excuse. He's declaring, Lord, I have sinned. And he not only recognizes that he has sinned, but he acknowledges whom he has sinned against, that he has sinned against this God and that there are consequences to be faced. When we look at this episode in 2 Samuel 12, we see that David has got nothing to offer. He's, he's ashamed, he's, he's, he's astounded, saying other than saying, I have sinned against God, he has got nothing to offer to pay the price, to pay the penalty for the sin against God and God's people. He's got nothing. And this is why in Psalm 51.4, David submits himself to God and he declares this, that God, 
you will be blameless if you exact your justice on me. No one can blame you for any consequence that I face for the sin that I have committed. You are blameless. I deserve this. And then God chooses to graciously forgive him, but still allows him to face the consequence of his sin. And we see David's life it goes downhill from there. But despite having to face these consequences, in the midst of that, David's relief, his satisfaction, his happiness is that God has forgiven him and made him right in the presence of God. In that difficulty, this is his joy. And he realizes that God's forgiveness is not based on anything that he has done or could have offered. And he considers this state to be blessed, to be happy. So Psalm 32 is a declaration of the blessedness, of his state of blessedness because he knows that the Lord has graciously forgiven him. Now in Paul's writing to the, uh, to the Roman church in 4 verses 6 to 8, Paul uses Abraham's example to teach these verses. Abraham was an idolater, but God chose him. He forgave him of his idolatrous life, and he chooses him. And Abraham sees this. He sees God, and he realizes what God has done, and he believes in him. And he puts his faith in this God that has called him and trusts everything that God says. That's why when God told Abraham, leave your country, leave your people and follow me, there was no dispute from Abraham's side. He just followed. And God counted him righteous because, because Abraham saw that his forgiveness and his calling was God's grace being displayed. And he believed that. So both Paul and David are declaring the same thing here. That is a person is in a blessed state when they stop doing things trying to earn God's forgiveness. Because we cannot. When they stop trying to use good deeds to earn God's, God's forgiveness. Because we cannot. A person is blessed when they see God for who he is. They see his love. They see his justice which we deserve. They see at the same time his mercy. And they believe that God forgives them only by his grace. Such a person is blessed. And they believe that they are forgiven and they demonstrate this by living a forgiven life from their own. And this is a person whose spirit there is no deceit. Deceitful people claim to be forgiven but they don't live a forgiven life. But one whose spirit has no deceit experiences God's forgiveness and lives this life of forgiveness because he or she feels blessed because of God's forgiveness. Now many of these things we probably preach week after week and we know a lot of these things. But then how do we experience, how is David experiencing this? How do we experience this blessedness in God's forgiveness for us today? And that's where we look at experiencing God's forgiveness as our second point. 
See David's reaction in verses 3 and 4. Having received God's verdict on his sin through Nathan, there's a brief period of time he is keeping silent. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't, he's, he's overcome. He knows that he has done something grievous against the Lord and his people. And he knows that God is displeased. The weight of his sin and God's conviction is heavy upon him. And see what he's feeling in verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength has dried up as by the heat of summer. He's groaning. He's crying. He's depressed. He's tired. He's weak. He feels helpless. Brothers and sisters, are you in a situation like this today? Are you feeling the weight of sin under God's conviction after hearing his word week after week or daily? Maybe you feel this because you are not living according to God's word. Week after week you're hearing, you're being convicted, but you're not able to do it. Or maybe you're tired because all that you're doing is not working and you're still struggling with the same problems. And you feel weak, depressed, tired, helpless with the lack of success to overcome. What do we do? What do we do? See what David does in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. In the midst of this despair, this helplessness, David turns to God to acknowledge and confess his sin. He feels compelled in the midst of all this, the only way out is to confess everything to God. Now this is not a simple confession like many of us do today. This is not a general statement of saying, God, I'm sorry, I sinned. Forgive me my sin. Because this is a casual approach for all of us to cover up. It is not a proud confession which we are so used to practicing with God and with each other by saying, Lord, if I have sinned or if I have done something wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Like there's a doubt of the wrong that we have done. Like God, I'm, I'm okay, maybe I have sinned. And we say this because we don't have the love or the time to see our sin or against whom we are sinning. We don't have the love or the time. That's why we ask if, if I've sinned or if I've done something wrong. How many relationships will be transformed if we remove the if from those statements? And see David, see David, what is he doing? He's openly confessing everything about his sin to God. He's not covering and I did not cover my iniquity. He has, sinned, he has seen his sin so clearly and he has seen that he has sinned against God. 
And his heart needs to go to God and confess every single thing. Now, is this the way we confess today? Do you clearly acknowledge the specifics of your sin to God? Do you know what your sin was specifically? Do you know why you sinned? Do you confess to the Lord why you sinned? Do you confess to the Lord the root cause of why you sinned? Do you confess against whom you're sinning? Against God and his people. Do you confess to God why you are enjoying it? Why you have been enjoying it? Do you, do you open up all, everything to the Lord when you come to him in confession? But let me ask you to reflect on this also. When God convicts you, when you hear the sermons or in your daily meditation or in your CG, when God convicts you as you hear his word, what has been your first reaction? Is it been like this? Lord, I see my sin. I'm sorry. Have mercy. I now know what to do. Lord, please help me to do what I need to do. Or is it this? Lord, I see my sin. I have sinned against you terribly. And I need to confess everything about this sin to you. And here it is, Lord. This is what I did. This is why I did it. This is why I've been enjoying it. This is exactly why I've sinned against you. Lord, I submit myself to you. I need your help. If there is no open, uncovered, unadulterated confession, you will be in the cycle of despair as David is going through in verses 3 and 4 because you are silent in your confessions to the Lord. And you cannot escape that. Unless, unless you confess an uncovered, humble confession about everything about your sin, which the Lord so graciously shows us, then we will be in this cycle. Because if someone asks you, how did you experience forgiveness? What will you say? What sin has God saved you from? What sin has been forgiven? We can hide and say, oh, God has saved me from my pride. Where? How? With whom? Don't you think the Lord digs deep into our hearts and calls us for confession? Many people sometimes wait for an appropriate time or opportunity for confessing to God. And that's why we don't move to confession quickly. But see what David says in verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time you may be found. This is for the godly. And in Christ, we know that we don't need to find God because he has found us first. We don't need to search anywhere because he has found you first. And, for, and so for the godly, God is always with them as a sign of salvation. Because it is him who has said to his children, he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so the time to pray is now. 
The time to confess is now. You don't need to wait for a special feeling or a special moment or a special setting or a special surrounding to come to him in prayer and confess all about your sins. You don't need that. He is with you and you are with him always. His holy presence is with you. And remember this, when we talk about holy presence, in, on Mount Horeb, when Moses approached God in the burning bush, the Lord told Moses, the ground is holy, remove your sandals and then come, because it's holy. But then when we are living in the holy presence of God and we're coming to him in prayer, what do we take out? Take away your pride. Remove all justification for your sin. Remove all kinds of blaming of your situation or people or even yourself. Remove it. Remove any sense of excuse that you plan to carry. Remove all self-pity. Remove all sense of self-righteousness and confess to him in prayer. And confess to him in prayer. As David says in verse 9, do not be like the horse or a mule without understanding, which needs to be curbed with a bit and bridle. Otherwise, it will not stay near you. In simple words, do not be stubborn. When you are convicted, do not be stubborn. Do not be stubborn to receive God's correction conviction and instruction because see here he is faithful and if need be for us he will use the bit and brittle to keep us close to him but that experience is painful but necessary for God to keep us close to him so go to him now in prayer and confession today is the day for that Maybe today is in the way that you've been confessing. Maybe if you've been silent in your confession, ask the Lord to show why. What have you been hiding? In the book of Psalms, the rush of great waters refers to destruction of the wicked that reject God and, and reject God's word. But David says the godly are saved because the godly people are people who humbly come to the Lord in open confession seeking his forgiveness. So the starting point to experience God's forgiveness is this, to see God for who he is, to see his conviction in the midst of his love and responding with humble, open, uncovered confession of our sins to God in prayer. This is the starting point to experience God's forgiveness. But finally, we need to know this also. If I confess all my sins, can God forgive me? My sins are some too great. I've done many things in the past. Can the Lord forgive me? Because the word says God forgives. But how is it? How is it possible for this God that there is no sin that he cannot forgive? How is it possible that even the worst of the human beings can go to him and he says, I forgive you? 
How is this possible? And this is what we're going to see in point three. The joy in God's forgiveness. Now to see this, let me first, since we talked about confession, let me first take us to this passage in 1 John, 1 John 1, 9, to just show us how verse 7 can be related to us today. In 1 John 1, verse 9, John writes this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no unrighteousness that he cannot clean. Which means that there is no sin that we cannot overcome. But see this. As familiar as this verse is, remember that God forgives us and makes us righteous. Not only because he is faithful to himself, but because he is also just. But how does God show his just nature in forgiving any sin that we confess to him? Or how is he expressing this just nature in this ability to forgive all our sins? And this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ is so critical. When we feel overwhelmed and wonder, how can God forgive me if I confess all my deep dark sins? The Holy Spirit, our helper, uses God's word to show us that the penalty of our sin against God, which deserves death, has been paid through, the, through Jesus' death on the cross. And because this pri price that has been paid is very, very high, which is the blood of God, the blood of Jesus, God can joyfully say, you are forgiven, now go live and sin no more. And this brings joy to the Lord. Why? Because his goal is to see everyone saved. But please, let us go a little further into this crucifixion. And may God give us the strength we need as we look at this aspect of Jesus' crucifixion. The crucifixion was the most painful, the most humiliating form of execution. And one of the reasons is this, apart from being battered before they take you to be uh, crucified, they strip the person naked and nail them on the cross. Today's depiction of Jesus on the cross actually covers, puts a cloth around his body to cover his modesty. But in reality, he was nailed naked on the cross. The soldiers used uh, lots to divide his garments. And even worse, even worse is this, there was no way he could cover his shame. Because how could he, with both his hands and his, and his feet nailed to the cross, how is it possible? And in that shame, imagine this, his family is watching, his disciples are watching. His Father in heaven is watching. And no chance to cover his shame. He was exposed, mocked, and humiliated publicly. He has experienced shame in a way that none of us can even understand. He has experienced pain in a way that none of us can ever understand. 
And why is this important for us to know? Why? When faced with the shame of our weaknesses and failures, we all want to naturally hide. This is who we are. Parents hide their children's weaknesses because of the shame they feel. Spouses, people hide their spouses' weaknesses because of the shame they feel if someone finds out. We hide our failures and weaknesses because of the shame that can come when people find out. People hide from others and want to be alone to escape the shame that can come from questions that are asked or things that are told. Even Adam and Eve themselves hid from God because of the sin they committed. We all need to hide, but we need to know where to hide in the midst of this shame. And see what David teaches in verse 7. You are a hiding place from me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Jesus is our hiding place. Because he has suffered and understands the weight of shame more than any human being can and ever will. He understands this. Because he has experienced it. When we hide in Jesus, when he is our hiding place, and shame tries to humiliate us by declaring us, hey, guilty, you're guilty, or declares us weak and worthless, Christ declares us forgiven. Christ declares us you are loved, and he strengthens us. And he strengthens and that's what we see in verse 7 and 8. He preserves us from this trouble of shame and guilt. He surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. Reminding us that our forgiveness is in him. He is our hiding place. And he just doesn't leave us like that. He instructs us. He teaches us and counsels us face to face. With my eye upon you. Face to face. And he does this through his word. He does this through his word. There is no shame or guilt for the one who experiences the blessedness of God's forgiveness in Christ. There is only joy because he is your hiding place. He is your hiding place. Let me illustrate this. Maybe you are a parent, spouse, child or relative. And you've seen that you've made many mistakes. And we all have. And you wished, you wished deeply that you had done some things differently. So that things would be different today. And you may be worried of the shame that's going to be exposed. Or maybe what if things get worse and people see this. Well, go to Jesus who is your hiding place and confess openly. Confess to him all about your sin and your weaknesses and why are we afraid? Why are we feeling this way? Confess all that you have done. Do not cover anything from God and then in faith receive the forgiveness that he gives you. As David says, I confessed all my transgressions and immediately and you forgive and you forgive me. 
do not cover anything and receive the forgiveness that you receive in your hiding place which is Christ Jesus be glad and rejoice for he will preserve you and surround you with shouts of deliverance he will instruct you on what needs to be done he will teach you and counsel you to lead a forgiven life free of shame and guilt and filled with joy maybe we are those struggling with addictions and you're constantly in this cycle of guilt and shame when you fall into your addictions whatever it may be whatever it may be go to jesus and he is your hiding place and in that hiding place confess to him everything do not cover anything confess to him why are you enjoying this sin what makes you go back to it confess to him all about it and experience his forgiveness experience the freedom that he gives you in Christ Jesus and this brings god great joy and he wants us to participate in that joy and let me extend this cautiously if you're someone who's been sinned against and you you're carrying and you're blaming yourself and you're carrying the weight of guilt and shame whatever mistakes have happened see god calling you to the hiding place that will preserve you and save you see this hiding place that says you are forgiven and you are loved participate in this joy freely and this is what the lord is calling us for this is joy brothers and sisters that we have a god and savior to whom we can confess all our sins openly without hiding anything he receives it and this god graciously forgives we don't need to hide from god rather he is your hiding place he is your hiding place christ protects us from the weight of guilt and shame that surrounds us and he surrounds us with his shouts of deliverance and he teaches us counsels us face to face it's very personal and intimate and it's this joy that helps us overcome our temptation is this joy that helps us say no to sin is this joy being experienced that allows us to live a forgiven life freely and joyfully let me end by reading verse 11 and adding a few things to it be glad in the lord and rejoice O righteous be glad in the lord and rejoice o righteous because he has made you righteous your sins are forgiven and the lord counts no iniquity shout for joy all you upright in heart because christ is your hiding place and you can stand upright in christ shout for joy because he has set you free and when the sun sets you free you are free indeed experience that freedom joyfully to live a forgiven life 
And may all of you live a happy, blessed life in God's forgiveness. Because he is your hiding place. Not can be, will be, would be. He is your hiding place. Go to him. And let this be your reason for joy. We hope you were encouraged by today's sermon. Please visit our website, cc-dubai.com, for more information on Center Church Dubai. If you know someone who will be blessed by this sermon, please share this podcast link so they can stay updated.